Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 34 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me Judy Herman, a speaker and the author of the book Beyond Messy Relationships. Judy's also a licensed professional counselor and mental health service provider, and today she is going to be giving us insights into family of origin stuff, how covert abuse shows up in couples counseling, as well as an important tool to help us get unstuck and move forward. If you stick around to the end, you'll find out how to get another free downloadable tool as well as links to other helpful resources for your healing journey. Are you ready? Let's get started. Judy, I just want to welcome you to the Flying Free podcast today. I'm so glad to be here, Natalie. It is, um, I think, a divine appointment, actually. I think you have some awesome, brave women who are listening in, and I'm just very honored that you asked and very honored to be here. Thanks so much. Oh, well, say, you know, this... I'm really excited about the topic that we're going to be talking about today because it's something that I've actually been going back and working through myself, and it has to do with family of origin issues. And one of the things I've noticed for myself and for the women that I work with is that we figure when we're waking up and figuring out what happened in our marriage and what's going on there, we, it also uncovers a lot of stuff about our growing up years and the thing, the patterns of behavior that we learned, you call it dances. Um, is that right? Dances of behavior or? Yes, because uh, we are the other part of that uh, relationship. Whenever there's covert emotional abuse or spiritual abuse going on, we're the other side of that. And to be aware of those patterns that we've been groomed um, with, even in our early, early development in our family of origins, our caregivers, our brothers, our sisters, how we related and how we move toward pleasure or away from pain is what we inadvertently take in to our adult relationships. And so it is, uh, it's so worthwhile to look back and, and see what our part is and raise our level of awareness. Well, and especially because there's a, there are a growing number of women in my group, my private group that are either divorced now, or they are in the process of getting divorced. And many of them are asking the questions, you know, how do I prevent this from happening again? I was, a lot of these women got married when they were in their early twenties. I mean, we're, we don't have a lot of life experience back then. We really don't know a lot about relationships other than what we experienced in our families. And so we tend to kind of, like you were saying, we tend to kind of follow those same patterns and maybe are even attracted to people that kind of remind us of what we are familiar with. Maybe even if it, maybe even if we knew that our family wasn't completely healthy, we still thought it was normal. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Keep in mind, this is so very uh, profound when I first learned about this. And, and in the recent years, us all of us knowing more about the human brain and how it develops 
And maybe most of you already know that uh, the brain is not fully developed. It's still under construction until about the age of 25 years old. So it is impossible to have insights as an early 20 or even in your late teens if you got married then. But we have the capability of insights and looking back. Now, when, what happens when we are growing up in our families, okay, there's parts of our brains that we have conscious memory of and parts that we have unconscious memory. So when we get triggered in our adult relationships, we may not be able to even put those, the pieces of the puzzle together uh, what happens in the brain, we, it's a very primitive part of the brain in our development. So that part of the brain will tell us we're in danger. So we go into the fight, fight, or freeze mode of the brain. And then we develop stories around that. That's why I think it is so valuable to go back and go into our personal histories. Uh, a lot of us don't want to do that. Um, and, and we think, well, the past is the past. I can't do anything about it now. But what you can do is reframe it. You now have the capability in your brain development to be able to, instead of seeing whatever, um, perhaps some childhood abuse in the past, instead of seeing it through the eyes of a five, six, or seven-year-old in that mentality, you now have the ability to, to uh, get a, have a different story. That past can be reframed. Now, most folks do need to go to a therapist to help them with this. And um, so I, I guess what I want to say is none of us really want to say, you know, we don't want to dishonor our parents. Um, we're thinking, and I get this all the time in my counseling office. So I, you know, they're not like that now. They used to be, but they're not like that now. And then they're really fearful of saying anything negative or talking about those traumatic experiences but we're not talking about blaming our family of origins, our parents, or those who cared for us. They're also uh, limited as well. None of us were, grew up with a, a perfect childhood. But right. it's very important to have the insight with which, so to raise our level of consciousness, to raise our level of awareness, so that then we can make choices. When we're unaware, we can't be intentional or make choices that, you know, have good judgment. And we can only look at the past. We can't look at the future, but we can gain some wisdom from a different perspective, a healthier story, so to speak. What about, so, okay, so you mentioned that people should, people probably would need some help, some therapy to, to do this. But a lot of people, it is really hard to find a good therapist. I mean, I've tried several different people. I really haven't landed on anybody that I really resonate with or that, you know, that I gel with. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. either they were not skilled or experienced. And that, like, recently I found someone who was very skilled and very experienced, but her personality and my personality just were not compatible. Mm. So I don't know. What do you, what do you suggest for people when they're even looking for someone? And, and I know a lot of women have a counselor and they don't feel comfortable with them, but they don't know. They almost feel like, well, now I feel like I'll, I'll make this person feel bad if I oh. don't go to them anymore. Oh my goodness. I've yes. Heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. So yes, it is so important to get a good fit in a counselor. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I heard some statistics way back that it takes about five different tries of 
uh, or try or trial and error to find the right therapist. Oh, now I that's do. That's good to know, actually. Yeah. So if you've if you've uh, disclosed to you know one or two, they haven't been good fits. Do not give up. And um, I actually have a blog post and I can put it in the show notes or you can put it in the show notes yes. about how, how to find the right therapist. It's okay. important, yes, on all those levels. You got to be able to resonate personality wise and you've got to, even after a first session with that therapist, feel heard and understood. And, and as far as, you know, offending your therapist, uh, I, I just tell my clients all the time, you know what, you will not offend me I, if, if we're not a good fit. And even after two or three sessions, it doesn't mean that you're married to me or married to my therapy. Uh, it would help if I knew what the, what the glitch was so that I can improve myself. Uh, but, but yeah, feel free to try others out. Now, also ask uh, if you're looking for a therapist, Ask if they provide a free consultation or uh, schedule that very first appointment with the understanding that you are checking them out. You are hiring that therapist and you do not owe them anything except for what you would pay for the session, of course, mm-hmm. but don't worry about offending. Now, if you're going to offend your therapist, there's something wrong. That therapist also needs some therapy that actually that might be a um, question. And I, you know what, I, from this call, I, I would be glad to create some resources, what questions to ask a potential therapist. Oh, and that would be awesome. That might be a really good resource, actually. And um, yeah, some questions. You need to ask that therapist, have you gotten therapy? Right. Um, because you know what, if they've not gotten therapy themselves, I would not quite trust that. They need to be on their own journey of awareness. Just because we're therapists and trained in mental health and, and licensed by our state um, boards and all of that does not mean that, um, that they've got their act together. <laughs> Actually, right. it's, uh, that's one of my, my passions is to is to help other therapists because I come across it all the time. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, the best or anything like that, but I am on this journey as a therapist to, uh, to deal with my own stuff. And, and I do deal with my own stuff in my book for sure. I, um, yeah, I, I, yes. I, I'm a client in my own book. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll just interject here. She, um, Judy Herman has a book, a newer book out. It's called Beyond Messy Relationships. Divine Invitations to Your Authentic Self. And the unique thing about this book is that she used, it's kind of a memoir slash, you know, self-help book in a way. She uses her own journey to, and as well as she intermingles her own personal journey. And she makes herself very vulnerable in this book, by the way, along with uh, her perspective as a therapist, so her, you know, the, the tools and the skills and the insights that she brings to the table as a therapist. So you get her own personal experience as well as these great tools and insights that you can apply to your own life. So it's a very unique book that way. I'm halfway through it and I've really been enjoying it. Um, I have a couple of therapy questions for you. Actually, can I, get, yeah, can I go back to even writing the book? Because when I wrote the book, it was something that I... Uh, I was compelled. I like couldn't not write the book because of a trauma I was experiencing in my life and in my marriage. But when I did, Natalie, I had a whole lot of anxiety, some sleepless nights because my thought was, oh my gosh, if my clients read my book, they're going to say to me, 
And why are we seeing her as a therapist? Mm. It is a very vulnerable thing. Most therapists don't write their, their um, you know, so, so openly and vulnerably. But right. we have our issues. I got to tell you, we are like flawed people and yeah. we have our issues. And there may be some things that uh, you as a client, if you, if you do feel this vibe in a counseling session, you might be triggering something in this therapist. So be open. Let's not put uh, I mean, you go to a therapist for expertise and, and they should be able, right, to, to differentiate when they, um, you know, when they are triggered or be authentic with you at, in session. Um, but if you feel something, it, it may not be you at all. Okay. Right. So I love your, the title of your book, uh, Natalie. Yeah. Is it, is it me? Because it may not be you. It may be right. the therapist. So anyway, right. just to put, take us off the pedestal. Uh, but, you know, we're trained and you, got, it, you deserve to have the right fit in the therapist. Yes. Okay. So um, I have a question. Do you ever... I'm sure you have experiences where you have a couple come in and they're, they have marriage problems. How do you as a counselor um, tell what's actually going on there? Because most of us who are listening to this podcast have been to couples counseling with mm-hmm. a husband who has, or there may be um, listeners who are men who have a wife like this, where it looks like it actually looks in the in the counselor's office like the opposite of what's actually going on. So yes. how do you how do you as a counselor tell what's going on? Like how do you know that there's covert ab- abuse going on? Can Good you- question. By the by the way, I, I'm going to say me too because in that first marriage and we were going to a therapist. Uh, my well, I'm very thankful that the therapist did see some of this very clearly, but there are many therapists that miss it. And the, um, you know, the spouse can come across as extremely charming. And, you know, if only she would this, then we would be fine. And um, so when those kind of um, things come up, and actually, even in the dynamics of the conversation, I may notice things, I likely can spot things uh, a mile away, <laughs> maybe uh, as compared to perhaps maybe other therapists of, who have had like nurturing and healthy and growing mar- a marriage. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes a difference on, um, it's it, yes, it's our therapy, but it's also our personal experiences and what we have attunement to. Yep, now, yep. if there's a lot of, so, and I talk about it, this in my book, there's three, basically three levels of coming into therapy. Number one would be, um, hey, uh, you know, would like to have some tools to, um, you know, our communications breaking down. And that would be, you know, maybe premarital couples. There's not some major things, but they are being proactive to come in and so that they don't have, um, you know, the disasters or, you know, or tools with which to work through. So there's, that's one category. And then the other category would be, okay, we are heading for some major issues, but usually it's one that drags the other one in. One will minimize, the other one will maximize. And uh, so in that, that middle category is, hey, we better do something. Now, then the third category is, would be, um, you know, if this doesn't work, we're, we're going to get divorced. I've already made up my mind. And so, having to differentiate between all of these. Now, there's toxic things that show up even in premarital couples. 
Um, and so uh, I will encourage both of them to look at these dynamics as a relationship dance. So that kind of takes away any kind of you're the victim, you're the perpetrator thing. So so if they can get, um, get become aware that, oh, this is a pattern, I didn't know this was going on, and they can both look at this uh, covert abuse as, okay, this is something we need to, to really uh, learn about and uh, make sure our relationship doesn't have this. This was normal in my family of origin, and I certainly don't want this now. So if they're at that stage, that's, that's a couple that I can work with. Okay, now, it's, uh, here's what happens sometimes, though. I will give them, um, such as Lindy, Lindy Bancroft's book, Why Does He Do That?, and I preface it, you know, I say, hey, you're, you're going to get, um, you know, to the man, you know, this probably raised some anger issues, but you know what? And it takes an attitude of curiosity. So not that we're saying you're a bad person or anything like this, or that this is going, but let's just be open and aware. So if a man comes back and he's angry with me <laughs> for uh, recommending that book, and of course, then I, maybe I need to, so as a therapist, I'll think, well, maybe we can have a, a softer approach here, but they definitely need to be educated about this. But if there's pushback and entitlement, it's a problem. Um, and then there have been times, I must say, uh, in, in which I, I've told them, uh, hey, it's going to be best for you two to go to a separate marriage, or I mean, I mean, a separate individual therapist. I can't work with you anymore. So I've done that. Uh, as a therapist, um, it is, so marriage therapy works when both individuals, both spouses can honor the otherness of the other. We are learning how to, um, how to honor their individuality, how to hold the tension of differences. Now, sometimes those differences, and I've talked about this in my book, uh, it's, it, we all need to know that 100% of our conflicts are not going to be resolved. And uh, with, with the research that I provide in my book, um, but I'll ask people, what do you think it should be? They say, well, you know, 90%, we should be able to resolve this, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, if even very core fundamental differences, even with healthy, growing, resilient couples, um, the ratio is 31% of their conflicts are resolvable. 69% are unresolvable. So, okay, so what does that mean? Unresolvable. Does that mean that they agree to disagree or does that mean that they just sweep something that is, that really matters to one of them under the rug? It doesn't mean to sweep it under the rug. It does mean to honor them. Now, um, I know this is a, a group of Christian women. So if you have a non-Christian spouse, but that non-Christian spouse honors your faith Let's say that they're, you know, they're of a different faith or maybe no faith at all. Can that marriage uh, be more healthy than two Christians and one in which there's um, abuse going on? Yes. In other words, you're likely more equally yoked if your spouse, who may uh, have a very different viewpoint, um, is fundamentally different. Okay, so that's maybe an extreme example, perhaps. Now, I, I um, 
I talked with a couple, some friends, that they had been married for 40 years. And I, in a social setting, they looked like, hey, it's, I mean, I can kind of spot them a mile away, folks, whether they're like there's a lot of tension on their faces in social settings. But this, this particular couple, they seem to, you know, they've lived life. They've raised kids. They've gone through stuff. And uh, But I asked them, well, what is the secret? And see, she is a is a, um, is a Democrat. Uh, she, well, not only that, she is an elected official that's a Democrat and he is mm-hmm. a staunch Republican. So I asked him, well, how do you do that? And what they do is they find ways to partner, to equalize. They go, they go hiking together, they climb mountains together, and it just evens uh, out the partnership of, of their relationship. They've learned how to accept their otherness. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can actually read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first three chapters of my book free if you want to hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those three chapters are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. Now, let's get back to our episode. Yes. I love that. Yeah. That's very important. So one of the things that I tell people, because people always say, well, how do I know? Like, what's the, what's the main thing that I need to know to figure out if I'm in a covert, emotionally abusive relationship? The thing that I tell people, and tell me what you think about this from your perspective. I tell people that it's in a covert, emotionally abusive relationship. One of the partners just cannot take responsibility for anything that they do. And they dehumanize the other person. They don't see the other person as a separate differentiated individual that like, like you were just describing, they, they really, they just kind of see the other person as almost as an object, I guess the other person feels objectified. So, Mm -hmm. so the main thing though, is that they don't take responsibility because the other person is objectified. They put all of the responsibility for that relationship and for anything that goes wrong onto the other person. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, what do you think about that? Well, and, and um, so some women I know choose to stay in that, but here's where I think the resolution needs to come. If you are going to stay in that, uh, that type of thing. Now, I'm sure there's all kinds of stories. I mean, a, a person could come from maybe, you know, her husband tried to kill her versus, and, and then maybe she remarries and this person is still covertly abusive, the person whom she marries, but it is way better than perhaps um, her fearing for her life if she left. So uh, there's degrees of, of emotional and covert abuse, as we all know. All right. So as the, as a spouse grows if she chooses to stay in the in that marriage now you know some of us are going to be raising kids and these uh, or some of us might be in the empty nest stage of life so those those values uh, that are so crucial at one stage of life may not be as crucial in another stage so let's just say your kids are grown 
And he still, uh, I, I, you know, just depending on, well, what is he not taking responsibility? Is he not putting food on the table? Is, is he not paying the mortgage? Is he, um, is he you know, uh, spending money frivolously? Uh, so there's all kinds of uh, scenarios. Um, and But here's what I think a woman can do is she herself can surround herself with people uh, friends, girlfriends, groups, um, and and make sure that she is validated in other places. If she's going to stay in that relationship and in the marriage, um, is that is that um, does that covert stuff happen just during times of stress? Um, you know, when other things are going on, or is that like a fundamental? way that that she is experiencing him. So she needs to develop her sense of self, her authentic self, and move forward mm-hmm. um, and not hang her hat on um, using her or her husband being the only mirror to her soul, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's really good. Okay. So, um, so when, if you're working with a woman like that, who's decided, you know, I really, because of the stage of life I'm in or because of my convictions or whatever, I'm going to stay in this relationship. It's problematic, but I'm going to stay anyways. How would you help her to, um, how would you help her cope with the stress of being in that relationship besides like your advice about getting other, you know, building other relationships that are actually validating to her and Mm -hmm. where, where people are seeing her and she is able to thrive in those relationships. That's really, really, that's excellent advice. What about when she's at home though? Um, or what if, what if she's not able, let's say that she's got small kids at home and she's, and her husband really doesn't like her to leave the house very much. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, what would you suggest for her to just deal with the, the stress at home? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. See, this is a journey of awareness for all of us, Natalie. I'm sure some who've read your book and then they got this punch in the gut feeling and, and, and it takes time to process and people's level of readiness for leaving a relationship is going to be, is going to be varied yeah. uh, or leaving the pattern. See, we're talking about divorcing the pattern of the toxic relationship pattern. So, um, so, Actually, and this is this is a real thing where okay, a woman is so beat down, and perhaps she's even gone, um, you know, into inpatient hospitalization because her depression and anxiety is overwhelming. She's not ready to get out of that relationship until she herself is well. So, um, and this this is it's it's sad, but it's true. You got to have the stamina with which to. Uh, experience the pushback and not everybody is there, but they can be on this journey of being there. Does that make sense? Yeah. They they can't really, how do they get well though, when they're still breathing in that air, you know? Yes. Oh, I agree. So that's why, that's why one of our biggest enemies, Natalie, is isolation. And so, and it's taking, so I use the uh, acronym breathing in fresh air, which is our, our growth, which all of us are called to grow and to grow up. And every living thing is called to do that. We're not supposed to stay stagnant or stuck 
in whether it's depression or anxiety or anything. So it takes all of these three elements. Let me talk about them. A is the awareness. So reading your book or listening to this podcast, that is, that is like, oh, these aha moments are coming up or maybe even going through this, you know, family of origin patterns and figuring out what your part of the dance is. Those are some aha moments that are so needed. And awareness is the very first thing we need to do. Mm. And then the I is intentionality. Okay, so then what's our next step? We plan. You know, maybe you need to plan on, okay, I've got X amount of dollars in my savings account and I need to plan and, and, and interview five therapists and see which one's going to be the best for me. Or it might be planning a lunch date with somebody that, you know what, this is going to take a whole lot for me to disclose to uh, my, my best friend who thinks things are fine uh, and I'm going to tell her the truth. So that was intentionality. You, you plan, you pray, you write. And intentionality might be something like, like um, keeping a journal uh, and and really getting your head clear. Oh, I'm in this crazy world, but let me just write this down. And and, it's a, and that's what I've done for years, actually. And it's really helped. Um, and then the R in air, breathing in air, awareness, intentionality, and the R is risk. What is the risk for me right now? And that this is something that Brene Brown talks about when she talks about vulnerability. Um, it this is this is your journey toward your authentic self. It's going to be risky. It's going to be a very fearful thing because you don't know what the outcome is. And uh, so what is that first risk you're going to take? Is it to call your friend up and have lunch with her and say, my marriage, I believe, is toxic and I am drowning? And um, so when you tell one person and they, you know, they're trustworthy, number one, and they, they're not going to make you feel worse, but you look for friends that can handle um, some, some, you're the real you and the real what's going on. And so you start on that journey and this is not a one-time thing. This is a pattern of breathing in fresh air every single day, meeting God in the midst of breathing in awareness, intentionality, and risk. Our lives are risky. <laughs> There's nobody. <clears throat> and that's, I think, part of my own faith journey. I come from a very conservative Christian, certain, um, certain, um, you know, spiritual principles. I, I identified a lot with you, actually, Natalie, reading your book and your journey. Um, so, so, you know, okay, if I pray longer, God's, or if I pray more, um, God's going to answer my prayer. Well, um, and then it was really profound when I went on a spiritual retreat with my spiritual director, and he said something that was very, I thought, almost heretical to me. He said, Judy, um, he said, God's love is not enough. And I thought, oh, wait, what does that mean? He, and, and so I, I named my ex-husband Richard in my book, and he said, um, God, God's love must be received. You cannot receive for Richard, he has to do that himself. Hmm. So I was face to face with, okay, Lord, uh, what do I need to receive from you? What do I need to say a wholehearted yes to? And that was a risk that I needed to take. I've got to tell you, um, and, and of course you're halfway through my book, so you might already know, it took me years I've yeah. got four, four, four grown children. Uh, yeah, we, we as women, um, I've heard other guests, and you talk about this, is that, you know, we are caregivers. And, 
oh my gosh, it's like we sacrifice so much for our children. But I think the, the biggest thing we can do for our, our children, our grandchildren, is to model this air awareness, intentionality, risk. We model our own growth, our own resilience, and then we give them the courage to take risks themselves and continue to grow out of the family dynamics and the toxic stuff that has uh, gone on or what they have been used to. So, yeah, God's not through with any of us yet. (laughs) No, I absolutely love that AIR acronym. And I can totally see that in my own life. I mean, it took me, I would say, from the time that I started waking up to what was actually going on, obviously, you know that something's really bad your whole marriage. But when you start waking up and realize, oh my word, this is what's happening. It took until the time I was out and thriving again. It was probably a six-year journey. So it's not like when you read a book. I mean, I think this will really encourage some of you who are listening out there who this is the beginning of your journey. You maybe just picked, maybe you picked up my book or picked up another book and you started reading it and, and you're just beginning to realize, oh my word, what's happening here? What that doesn't mean that you are going to go out and file for divorce tomorrow. This is not, this is, this is something that takes a long time. And, and you, I I love that breathing in this air, breathing it out, that risk. You're going to, it's not going to start with this big, huge risk of jumping off a cliff and filing for divorce. It's going to start with the risk of, like she said, telling someone what you're learning. Um, taking the time. It's scary to listen to a podcast like this and hear more information that makes you go, oh my word. Because once you realize that there's something wrong and it's serious, then you're faced with the fact that, oh my word, I have to do something. What am I going to do now? And that's a very, very scary realization. Just even realizing that and admitting that to yourself is a risk, is the air, you know, that's a risk. Absolutely. It is. And that's where it starts. And all of our journeys are different and just honoring the process because where I'm at, at the age that I'm at, I am. And so I, I have not been a therapist through the first difficult marriage that uh, ended after 29 years, but it was through my um, regular journal writing and well, actually writing out my prayers. I mean, writing out my prayers was huge for me. And actually my, my book, I did reference these stories, some that, some that I had totally forgotten about, but that was my sanity yeah. is to go to God in prayer. And not only that, to write them out. Now there is some real value in a handwriting in a journal, as opposed even to, you know, keystroking on a, a computer um, app for a journal. There's something very uh, powerful mental health wise to take your thoughts and your feelings and conceptualize them. And then you can ask yourself some questions, which I actually included in the book too, some questions that you can ask to test your automatic thoughts. This is, this is a process. So really I've got about four decades of um, prayer journals with which I've referenced. Mm. But by the time um, that the time of my divorce of the first marriage, um, and by the way, I am still married to my husband now, my second husband, um, which that's another issue in another, <laughs> another podcast <laughs> I can tell you about because some of these things from the, you know, these same old, um, you know, dance patterns sometimes show up. Yeah. Um, but I say, I sell that to say, it's like, um, by the time, uh, I was at, I was at a place where 
um, I had peace deep within my heart, even though I struggled hugely with theology. And, uh, and I, of course, then I became a therapist and, and started private practice, actually the very same year of, of, of the divorce is crazy, mm. but I had to provide for myself. And, and my dad died when I was six years old, and I had these thoughts sitting on the bleachers when my children were playing baseball, and we were basically living our life on the ball field. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, this is not the kind of history and, you know, childhood memories I want my kids to have. And then I got to thinking, well, you know what? My mom, my dad died suddenly after six weeks when I was only six years old. And I said, you know, and so these were some thoughts that I had that I was able to take some of this stuff in the past. And I thought, you know, my mom um, didn't have the time to prepare to be a widow. And I know that my, my marriage is, uh, I, you know, I, I thought, I may not have a marriage. And so that was years before I actually filed for divorce. But what I did is I began to take classes and, um, and you know, get my master's degrees. And so this was a process. This was actually a risk for me to do all of this. I mean, yeah. to prepare myself. So I, I want everybody on this call to know, you know, I have not always been a licensed professional counselor in private practice. This has been a journey for me. And it was a risky thing. So what can you do now? Maybe it is to have lunch with a healthy friend, or maybe it is for you to think, okay, how can I prepare myself to prepare for what might be inevitable, um, you know, when the kids are at such a, such and such an age? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This has been so, so good, Judy. I'm so grateful for your time. Can you tell the listeners, where they can find you. And also, um, you, you mentioned that you had some things that you were going to offer for them that would just add more value and that w- would take them even further than what this podcast can take them. Can you describe what you have for them? Yes. And, um, and I can get those set of questions, what to ask a, ther- a potential therapist. I can, do, I can add that to what I was going to give away. So I'm going to um, give away, it's a personal timeline and family of origin patterns PDF, where there, it's a diagram and you can fill it in and use this as a model. Uh, and I'm likely going to, um, well, I'll give you plenty of um, instructions on how to do this, but it's to raise your level of awareness of the family of origin patterns that you have grown up with and um, be gentle with yourself. Okay. So, and, and I'm, I, it's best to even ask yourself uh, in your adolescent stage of life, how did you experience your mom and dad, you know, and what got on your nerves and, and what, um, you know, so, so both like about three positives, three negatives to each one. So that's going to raise your level of awareness to get you grounded in your history. I do this all the time in my counseling office. And it's, it's amazing when you put things in a diagram, you can have so many aha moments. It kind of gives you some objectivity rather than uh, being um, all caught up in you know, not looking at these things, um, it, it can help. Um, so that's one thing. And then also, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but my book is released September the 10th and it would be awesome for, you can get it on Amazon or you can get it at Books A Million or, um, Barnes and Noble. And, um, but between now and then you, you certainly download the first three chapters of my book, um, and would love for you to, stay in touch. I'm developing, I hope this is not overwhelming here, but I am develop just beginning to develop a, (coughs) excuse me, a, um, um, 
just a community. It's not a Facebook community, but it's called Mighty Networks. And if you'd like to join me there, I'd love to, um, I'd love to connect with you more because I'm going to be trying out um, some more products um, and would love some beta folks to do that with. So that sounds and- wonderful. <laughs> and, and by the way, the name of her book is Beyond Messy Relationships, Divine Invitations to Your Authentic Self by Judy K. Herman. Um, also, I will have all of those links to the places where you can sign up, where you can download the PDF, where you can sign up to um, get her the first three chapters of her book for free, and where you can sign up to join her community um, in the show notes. So if you're listening on your phone um, and you're not on my website right now, all you have to do is go to my website, which is flyingfreenow.com. Click on the podcast link in the menu bar at the top, and that will take you to the podcast. This is podcast episode 34. So go to episode 34, and there where you will find all of these links and downloads. Awesome. And, I, and, and as far as the uh, URL for my website, it's judycounselor.com forward slash flying free for those uh, resources. Okay. And, and, and then if you forget, just go to messyrelationships.com. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. We need I'm to stop sorry. this podcast. Go <laughs> get some water. Yes, ma'am. I got it. I got it right now. I didn't want to cough on the phone. So anyway, <laughs> thank you again, Judy. Oh, well, and, my pleasure. Yeah. And for the rest of you, fly free.